Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Hi, Diane. Hello, Jen. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm trying out a different location for recording tonight, and I'm pretty squished. I am also now in a closet. (laughs) But this is not a nice, spacious closet like yours. It's a very tiny closet. No. So, yeah, we'll see how the sound quality comes out, but I I may end up going back to my little downstairs table. Yeah, you look cozy, but I'm not sure it's the kind of cozy you want to be. No, I'm just real, real squished. This is, it's like a closet that's built into a, um, a gambrel. The roof is here and it's coming upward. So it's like if I stood up right now, I'd just hit the ceiling with my head. That's like our, our upstairs is like that. It's got the, those thingies. Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a useless closet. You can't put anything in here. You can sit a small person in the base of it, which is what I'm doing. So yes. Perfect. It's your podcasting closet. Would you care to share your mom moment? It was my birthday on Sunday and it was exciting because I, it was the first birthday in two years that I actually celebrated. It was the first time that I got to meet my cousin's baby, Joanna, who is now a year old. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But she was, I know, she was born at the beginning of the pandemic, so I never met her. Chuck threw me this big surprise party um, with all of our vaccinated family and friends. So I got to watch my daughter, Rini, play with, we call them her cousins, even though it's my cousin's kids, but, you know, her cousin, Eric, who she knew as a baby, but does not remember now after a year, her little cousin, Joanna, who she never got to meet until now, and who else was there? Um, And her actual cousin, Evelyn, (laughs) was there, our sister-in-law and your brother, Joe's uh, kid. Her little friend, Lenka, came as well. So to watch all the little kids actually be able to like run around in the yard for the first time, even when they were like fighting over things and like, you know, having their little childish squabbles over like who gets the ball. It was just like really, really fun to watch them just like interact and and Mm -hmm. be normal for a little while. It was very cool. I'm so glad. I'm glad that you had that special day. It was really special. So how about you? I had I had like a battle royale with poor Emma this weekend. We we had a series of things that we had to do that Emma Emma is very similar to me in certain ways, especially my childhood self. And that is specifically challenging for me because it tends to be all the things that I really struggled with as a child. So I had very, very, very bad anxiety as a child. And there are certain things that she has bad anxiety about. So what it was this weekend, she went to the ENT on Friday because we we think she's going to have to have her tonsils out. And when she went to the ENT, the doctor was like, I can't see into your ears. You have so much earwax in there and wouldn't let the doctor clean out her ears because she doesn't want anything in her ears. This is like an anxiety point for her. Don't put anything in my ears. So on Saturday, I was like, that's it. We're cleaning out your ears. I woke up and I was like, this is the mission of the day. We are cleaning your ears out. And I was in the bathroom with her for like two hours, negotiating, crying, all like worked up. 
it, it was just like such a production and like every step of the process was like painful because she just didn't want to do it and there's so much crying I could see that as she was getting more worked up I was getting more worked up yeah which wasn't helping and I could not be calm and rational for her at all because I just I was witnessing my childhood self lose it over something really simple which was just like every day of my life when I was little I was constantly losing it over simple things and making really big deals out of things that are quite small and the deal that you make out of them ends up being much bigger Mm -hmm. and more dramatic than the thing itself I did such a bad job of trying to like just explain to her (laughs) which was pointless like you can't explain to somebody who's that upset that like they're being irrational (laughs) Right. Yeah. But even when you're having a panic attack as an adult, like you maybe even know you're being irrational, but that doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything. And I know, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was a rough few hours of just trying to do this task that is very simple and just, and then like a few hours later, she got a splinter and then we got to go through the joy of using tweezers. No. So it was just like another opportunity to go through that entire thing all over again. I was like, will this never end? <laughs> so oh my God. It's now my it's now my mission to help Emma practice and help me practice her doing one brave thing every day. One thing that she doesn't want to do every day. And there are lots of little things all over the place that she's like, I don't want to do that. That that'll make me uncomfortable or that makes me scared or whatever. I'm like, we're gonna, we're just we gotta practice being brave. We gotta do it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's hard, though. Yeah. Hard for you, too. So, I mean, give yourself some grace because it's it's a lot. Tell me your topic. My topic. So this is, this is silly. I found myself researching things from American history that made me go, how is that a thing we ever did? And not specific to children, but just in general. What are things that we did that, you know maybe impacted everyone, but we're, we're sort of like a thing that people decided to do and it just stuck. And I found this topic that it turns out you can track like the entire history of America through this one food product. Oh my God. It's just so wild. And I'm going to give like 30 minutes on the history of this food product, but you could probably read Like, you can read whole books on this. There's so much information on it. And it really, like, you track the history of how this food shows up throughout American history, and you get the history of America. Do you know what food I'm talking about, Diane? No. I'm trying to think what it could even possibly be. Is it like a super processed food? It is now. It is now. I don't even know if I could venture a guess. I'll I'll give you a really good hint. Okay. There's always room for it. Always room for it? Am I just like completely missing like a huge thing? I feel like an Maybe idiot. Don't remember this tagline. There's always room for. No, I don't know. <gasps> oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Wow. I'm sure people are like yelling at their yes, you know, phones are, right 100% now. 100% they are. There's always room for jello. Oh, well, I hate jello, so that's probably <gasps> why. You hate jello? I jello and pudding, Jen. Hospital food. I wow. hate jello. I hate jello. That's so funny. Well, I'm really sorry cuz today we're talking about the history of jello. <laughs> 
Well, that makes so much sense though. Gelatins and stuff. Oh my gosh. I follow this Instagram called 70s Dinner Party. Get ready. Everything is in gelatin. Encased in gelatin. Yeah. Yes. We are specifically talking about the history of the jello salad. Oh my God. I don't hate (laughs) jello as much as I hate pudding. So, I mean, we're going to survive this. So basically, as you have pointed out, throughout the 1930s to the 1970s, it was like people were just real into creating these molded jello dishes. Yeah. It was real wild. And and the the journey that we take to get from pre-industrial revolution uses of gelatin to where we are today is just as I said, like you can track the history of America through where jello shows up and and how it shows up. So, let's just get into it. Jello the brand, so J E L L dash O. Mm-hmm. That was created. That brand name was was chosen, was created in 1895. Wow! Right? Really? Yeah, it's been around for a long time. Wait until we get to that exact story because it's good. But obviously, prior to that, we already we had gelatin. Jello was just like the creation of granulated, you know, powdered gelatin which okay. you know didn't exist before that so so prior to the late 1800s gelatin was incredibly difficult and time consuming to make it was only really enjoyed by the wealthiest of people because it it was like a days long process to make gelatin man the earliest evidence that has been found of gelatin existing was in a pharaoh's tomb in ancient egypt they found it like tucked in with his belongings. So they've been making it for a long time. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? The first time that we see it referenced in any sort of writing is in 1682. There was a Frenchman whose name I'm going to destroy, Denise, D E N I S. I assume it's Denise and not Dennis. Dennis? I went to school with a Dennis, D-E-N-I-S. Dennis. Mm -hmm. And then last name, P-A-P-I-N. Papin. Papin. Yeah. Dennis Papin. Sure. Sure. (laughs) His name was Dennis Papin. We're going to guess. Uh, He discovered in 1682, like he was a, I want to say scientist. It didn't say in the article like what he was, but it said he was experimenting and he started boiling animal bones. And that resulted in the creation of what we now know as gelatin. He referenced it in this writing. I'm sure people were creating it before that, but that was the first time that it had been like written down that we know of. Right. In the early 1800s, it was eaten by French soldiers as a protein source. So like, because gelatin is like pure protein. It is just you, you boil down. I'll read you a recipe in a few minutes for how it was originally (laughs) made because it's like, real wacky is it gonna make me decide that i love jello <laughs> no definitely not definitely definitely not um it's it's really like an intense thing what this scientist papan had done was he boiled down these bones until like you get this gelatinous substance and it has no scent no flavor no nothing and when you mix it with water you get just protein 
So it was like this great source of protein that people had used, but it was very difficult to make. So if you're in wartime and you need a source of protein and you've got time because you're sitting waiting on the front or whatever, you know, right in between battles, and maybe you have some animals that were recently killed, you know, you can yeah. make some food. So then in the uh, 17 and 1800s, gelatin was a status symbol and it was served at dinner. And if it was you knew that the house you were in had a kitchen staff that could actually afford to spare the people and the time to make it. That was like, we're serving gelatin tonight. And it was like a real big deal because it took days to make. Wow. And at Thomas Jefferson's estate, he often served his guests wine jelly, which was based on dishes he had had in France from his time there. So at Monticello, he would serve wine jelly. Wow. He would have his his cooking staff, which was made up of slaves, make it. And it was like a real big deal. So he was, you know. Mm. Mm. So anyway, what I'll read you now is a quote from Hannah Glass. She wrote a cookbook in 1747. And this is how she describes the creation of gelatin. Take out the great bones of four calves' feet and put the feet into a pot with ten quarts of water, three ounces of hartshorn, I don't know what that is, three ounces of isinglass, a nutmeg quartered, four blades of mace, then boil this till it comes to two quarts and strain it through a flannel bag. Let it stand 24 hours, then scrape all of the fat from the top very clean, then slice it and put it in the whites of six eggs beaten to froth, boil it a little, and strain it again through a flannel bag. Then run the jelly into little high glasses. You may add orange flower water or wine and sugar and lemon if you please, but this is all fancy. <laughs> fancy is a capital F. I love that commentary. I love it so much. This is all fancy. So it was a real process. It took like two full days to make gelatin. That's so labor intensive mm -hmm. for something that's so like... Like bleh. Yeah. But it was really just like a status symbol of like the more elaborate a meal was, the more you were showing the world how much essentially people power you could put into the production right. of food in your fancy schmancy house. Ugh. Yeah. It wasn't an awesome thing, in my opinion, <laughs> but it was, yeah. you know, but, but it really, that was how people showed their status at that time. So mm. we get to the Industrial Revolution, right? And gelatin becomes more accessible to middle class because now they can actually start producing it in ways that people can just go out and, and buy some pre-made and you don't have to sit there and render animal bones for days on end. <laughs> So in 1894, Charles Knox developed the first pre-granulated gelatin. His wife, Rose Knox, published a cookbook in 1896 using his gelatin, and it was called Dainty Desserts. And Knox gelatin was like the competitor to Jell-O for several decades. Ah, so, yeah, Knox was like the the other one. Um, it is no longer around as far as I can tell. Um, no. So so that was 1894, 1896. In 1895, Pearl B. Waite, who had been a creator of cough syrup, pivoted his business because he wasn't successful in cough syrup anymore, I guess. And he decided he was going to work with his wife, May, to bring to market something that they had 
decided to create together at home, I guess. And it was adding fruit syrups to gelatin. And so making a powdered, like a, a dehydrated powdered version of gelatin that had been mixed with a fruit syrup. Okay. So this was the first time that you could like buy pre-made flavored gelatin before so you that have to was, flavor it yourself mm-hmm. so before that it was like you would get these sheets of gelatin and you'd like add it to water and it would but this is like it comes flavored so it was may his wife may who created the name jello of course it was the woman it's always the woman they're so good so may named it jello they were super unsuccessful selling jello they would go door to door. They would try to like sell it to, you know, neighbors and people in town or whatever. And like, they just could not sell it. So he had a neighbor named Order Francis Woodward, who was a manufacturer of some kind. And he sold Jello to this man for $450, which is $11,000 today. No. Oh, he must have been so pissed. I, I mean, I don't know if he lived to see how big it got. Oh, my God. Basically, this guy, Woodward, he also had a hard time selling it. And he almost actually sold it to the foreman on like his production line for it he almost sold it to him for 35 dollars. he was like this is not getting anything but then he decided you know what i'm gonna take like one more stab on it and so what he did was he tried to take a different approach and was like i am going to show up at county fairs at like any any sort of like thing where people are gathering in like a horse-drawn carriage with people wearing fancy fancy outfits and i'm gonna have them serve people samples of jello on like platters and it's going to be this fancy thing and it worked <laughs> and people were like Ooh, wow fancy. <laughs> people are suckers for things they think are fancy and it also helped that like around the same time refrigeration was coming out and like you had this right. whole shift towards like science entering the home and and manufacturing making things easier and all this business so it lended itself really well to Jello being something that people could like bring into their homes and have like, okay, I can, I can have this fancy stuff in my house too. With the industrial revolution and all the scientific advancements and the home changing in a lot of ways for women, it meant that the role of women really changed in their homes. Women at this time wanted to be efficient, clean, and neat. If I'm running a good home, I'm being efficient, clean, and neat. And Jello gave women all of that. That was like Jello's selling point. It was super efficient in that you were making something for your family that previously had been really time consuming to make and really expensive to make. And now right. like you can do it for like 10 cents a box. Super easy. You didn't have to use any of your extra sugar stores because sugar was often really hard to come by then. So it came in the box. You didn't have to use any of the sugar that you had in your cupboard. Mm. It was a great way to use up and and gussy up your leftovers. So now you're stretching your food further. And it was a really contained meal that looked super tidy because you were making this like molded thing and all the food was inside of it. And so like it wasn't food that was spilling out all over the place and made a really big mess. It just like hit all of the right notes for that specific time period and what women were going for. In 1905, the third place in a cooking contest went to 
what is known as the perfection salad. It was a gelatin mold. I don't know what like the base flavor is. I, th- I think it's lime or lemon or something like something citrusy. And it's filled with chopped cabbage, celery, and red peppers. <laughs> I have no words. I know. There's this amazing guy on TikTok who makes like vintage recipes. He, like he finds the original mm-hmm. vintage checks and makes the recipe. And he made a perfection salad the other day. And it was just, it was glorious to see him make it. I was like, this is just amazing. It it looks abysmally bad. And it's just the tip of the Jell-O salad iceberg, which goes real, real, real deep. So, um, oh God. So, but yeah, like that gives you an idea of like, you know, there's this contest for cooking and in, in 1905, a Jello salad came in third place. Like, oh god! And they were huge, and people just loved them. And I think part of it is like, what people were willing to eat then was was pretty different. I think because you had, you know, like there were wars going on, and there were, you know, like rationing, yeah, rationing and stuff. So I think people just had like a different, like they had a different base <laughs> that they would put I up guess with for so. flavor. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know, because I can't imagine a perfection salad being actually very tasty at all. I could be wrong. I remember growing up because, you know, our grandparents grew up in the Depression and my grandmother tried to serve us shredded carrots in in Jell-O one Mm -hmm. day. Oh, yes. And my my brother and I were like, what is this atrocity? And she was like... I loved this. Like, what do you talk? This is amazing. Like, this is so good. She could not understand why we didn't like it. Yeah, I've been served a few Jello salads in my day. <laughs> it's it's always interesting. <laughs> so, in 1908, there was this push. There there had been, uh, I believe it was a, a law or something that had come out that was about the purity of food. The FDA had come out and said, like, you have to label your foods with certain things to let people know that. So, so Jello became like. We have to use the word pure as often as we can. Like it became like part of their slogan, part of their marketing. Like they use the word pure everywhere because it was really important to them that people understood that like <laughs> Jello was pure. It was really, there was no bad stuff in it. And so one of the ways that they showed this is that in, in 1908, they started using um, a four-year-old girl, I forget her name, but she was like their spokesperson and it was this tiny little girl who held up a bowl of jello and she's very sweet and it was like she was like purity and innocence just like jello so you could trust it for this so like people were really gravitating towards that messaging and jello also like hit that right on the head so we'll go into world war one you have sugar being rationed mm-hmm. during the depression Sugar's still hard to come by, but Jell-O, you know, when available, helps people be able to like really stretch their meals. It it lets them, you know, make something really boring and dull right. like cabbage super fancy. So, you know, it, it like gives people that illusion, I guess, of of having more. And then in the 1930s, lime jello gets introduced. Yes. And lime jello is Huge. like to this day, like one of the most popular jello flavors. It's like People love it. And so with the introduction of lime jello, that's when they really start pushing savory jello salads. 
you know, like before that they had existed, but now like with the advent of lime jello, it was like whole cookbooks oh, were devoted to God. creating savory salads with lime jello. Um, <laughs> they also recommended that you add a little bit of vinegar to it to cut through the sweetness of the sugar in the jello. This is like literally my worst nightmare. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is great. Um, oh god. So, so after World War II, so industrial food production had like really amped up during World War II, right? Because they were creating all of this food for troops. Right. And then the war ended and they were like, we still want to make money making lots of food and making like quick and easy food and convenience foods and things like that because that was really like how how the industrialized food market you know amped up was during world war 2 just making all this food that was really easy to like ship and and all that business so they were like okay so we're going to ship from feeding troops to feeding families and so marketing convenience foods to housewives became like the focus for the food mm-hmm. industry. It was like how do we how do we market food to housewives who who now are back at home, they're cooking, they're taking care of their families. How do we how do we make this food look good to them? So they really pushed it as like a boon to mothers where it was like you no longer have to spend all day cooking. You can buy these foods that are pre-made, pre-packaged, but you just like mix it with some water and some heat and you're good to go. Like, go for it. And women really like dug into that. They were like, yes, this, this is great. However, women who were surveyed at the time, there was a survey that was like, do you think a woman is a better wife and mother if she serves Nescafe, you know, instant coffee, or brews a pot of Maxwell House. And almost everyone was like, she should brew a fresh pot of coffee. Yeah. It's lazy to make like the instant food. And it's it shows that you don't care and it's, you know, all this business. So even though there were all these convenience foods coming out, you see this huge growth in the cookbook industry around taking convenience foods. And making them super fancy, like making these really elaborate meals out of them. Because then you can show what a good housewife you are and how right. well you take care of your That's family. so you know? convoluted and ridiculous. Right? So in the case of Jell-O, we've taken this thing that was like incredibly complex and hard to make. We've made it super easy, like instant to make. Mm-hmm. And now we're adding complexity back in to show our womanhood. <laughs> Right. It's like the crazy bell curve of of this story. So really, like the more elaborate the presentation, the recipe, the better, like the more you could show that you were like a good housewife and a good mother, because like, look at look at this crazy jello mold I made. So jello is one of the things and you can see this for a lot of different foods. But this was around the time when brands and specific food items started coming out with cookbooks just for their one product right so Mm. they were constantly trying to like shoehorn their product into places that it should not have been into (laughs) meals that it shouldn't have been because they were just like everyone was just trying to make their product relevant for every single meal and for every single purpose and you know right as i was reading through this i was like this was well before the concept of stay in your lane (laughs) People just did not, (laughs) didn't stay in their lanes. No. 
So basically, like in the case of Jello, they would come out with these cookbooks that were like, you can literally have Jello for every meal. You can have it for breakfast by putting fruit into it and like making a parfait and a layered whatever. You can have it for lunch by putting in, you know, like deli meat and <laughs> for dinner and then dessert, obviously. And there's obviously. always room for Jello was like around ah. when that came out. Because it was such a small, like, airy, like, it's really nothing to it. It's very light. In America, there were two meals that were, like, really big. There were, like, the jello salads. And then there was, like, meat and potatoes. And meat and potatoes was, like, masculine. It was, like, a man's meal. And then jello molds were, like, this dainty little lady thing. And it was just so funny how, like, I don't know, how gendered. It's so silly. So talking a little bit about some of these Jell-O salads. So as someone who does not like Jell-O, you probably don't know this. But if you had ever done, like, a science experiment with Jell-O as a child, there are certain substances that sink in Jell-O and certain substances that float in Jell-O. Did not know that. So when people made Jell-O molds they would have like a list of things that would sink in it. And so you'd put your jello into the mold and you'd, you know, put in your sinking things. And those were the things that would come up. Like when you flipped your mold over, those would be on the top. And so you'd put your sinking things in and then you'd put like the the rest of your jello in and then you'd put in your floating things. And those would be the things that would end up at the bottom of your mold. So it was all like this, this outrageous culinary magic act to like, get everything where you wanted it to be. And that's why it was so like elaborate. And you'd, you'd end up spending hours putting this stupid thing together. Cause you'd also have to like wait until it's set a certain amount to put in your next layer of things. And like, Oh, it's just so silly. It was really like this thing. You'd show up at a party and it would be like, did you see Sally's Jalamal? Did you see hers? You know, it's just like people comparing them. My God, they... Jen, I would have been a terrible housewife back then. I know. I know. Me too. There's also, I forget what it's called exactly. I think it's called the rainbow ribbon salad, but it's like, it's like a rainbow cake, you know, where like you have cakes of different colors stacked on top of each other to look like a rainbow, but it's made of jello. So like you put your red color down and you wait for it to set. And then you put your orange color down and you wait for it to set. Like it takes like a long time for jello to set. Oh (laughs) my God. And in between each layer would be like some some like sour cream or whatever, so that you would be like be able to delineate the different layers between each other. And it's just like, what? It was so it was so elaborate and just such a uh like a visual symbol of a woman's time and attention. The history of women in America and Jello are like intertwined. So <laughs> in 1964. The edition of The Joy of Cookie that came out that year had a whole section on Jell-O salads. Oh, my God. Gelatin salads, I should say, because Jell-O didn't like completely corner the market yet. <laughs> In the 1960s, Jell-O introduced flavors like celery, <laughs> mixed vegetable, and Italian salad. No hard pass. Yep. The the savory flavors have since been discontinued. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. But some of the most popular jello salads of the 1960s included green salad mold, molded avocado and tuna, and oh. jellied veal loaf. Oh god. 
I can't. I can't. I can't even imagine what that would taste like. I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. People just ate, ate it and loved it. Yeah. It's really it's astonishing to me. The history of Jello really is like it is fascinating. There's a lot in there that I didn't that I didn't know about. Like for instance, one of the little tidbits that I saw was that there was a songwriter. It was during combat somewhere. I don't remember which war it was in. They weren't allowed to have alcohol on the base. And so in order to hide the alcohol, he invented jello shots. <laughs> I mean, it just gets like worse and worse or better and better. I mean, depending on how you look at it. I know, right? Just like. There's just so much like Jello has a really interesting history. So, I oh mean, my God. anyway, my last little thing that I'll leave you with is in the 1970s and 80s, women decided we're going to go back to work. Screw all you men and the patriarchy. And <laughs> and Jello went, oh, no, who's going to make all these elaborate Jello foods anymore? We better just go back to focusing on being a dessert food. Yep. (laughs) So that's what happened. Jello went, we'll just, we'll just focus. We'll just focus on being a convenience food, a quick dessert food, a kid friendly food. I was going to say, when did it become like a kid's food? Because what, because when we were growing up, it was like a kid's dessert. Yeah. Yes, it was. So they were like, we're getting nowhere with moms anymore. They all went back to work. They actually don't have time for us anymore. (laughs) we will just sell this as like a quick thing you can give your kids that they'll love so then it really became about that I I mean like I knew I knew about jello salads obviously like I knew it was a thing but I never really thought about it how like it is like a quick easy convenience food like simple dump it let it set that they had that they made so elaborate and ridiculously time consuming and it's like why yeah, I know. Like you could have spent all that time making like a beautiful roast or like, I don't know, anything that takes a long time to cook that's not jello. But no, you made jello. It was just like it was just the thing. It was just the thing that was popular and that everybody did. And you know, I mean uh, I know it's weird. It's like the avocado toast of today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like if you if you think about convenience foods really they became so popular because that was what like the food industry was churning out and what was being marketed to people and what was you know being sold as like the the way to show that you were a good mother and a good right. wife and a good american and all that business but women always knew like yes homemade food tastes better obviously yeah Like it just did. So all those food industries had to fight and fight and fight with their advertising and their marketing to get women to still want to buy their product, even though they knew that it wasn't as good as homemade. Mm -hmm. So they had to really push. This is so much easier and faster. And like they'd still spend all the time and effort on it because they still wanted like to have a product that looked and seemed good because that was like the goal. Yeah. I think that was the thing too, was like they would, they would market a lot. Like it's just as good as homemade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you'll never know the difference, but it's much faster or stuff like that. 
I don't like Jello. However, do you know the song Lime Jello Marshmallow Cottage Cheese Surprise? No. <laughs> So there's a composer, William Bolcom, who I sang a lot of his songs when I was in grad school. He's an American uh, composer. He wrote a lot of um, like, he called them cabaret songs. So they're like, they're just meant to be sung in concert, right? And and he wrote some that are in a cabaret kind of theme, but he wrote this song, Lime Jello, Marshmallow Cottage Cheese Surprise, which I sang once at, at, at an event. It, I think it's based on like his experiences. He He's a pianist, like playing piano at like women's clubs as a child mm-hmm. where they would serve like these ridiculous, gross, like jello salads and stuff. <laughs> and I know we, we can't really like, you know, play it or talk about the lyrics or say the lyrics too much on the podcast, um, obviously for copyright. But if you have a chance to go on YouTube and listen to Lime Jello Marshmallow Cottage Cheese Surprise, it's freaking hysterical and it's a great <laughs> song and it's very appropriate to what we were discussing today and and I I'm curious if that was actually a recipe I wouldn't put it past someone to have come up with that it sounds like a sounds like it could be a right? jello salad for sure yeah 100 yeah. percent lime jello marshmallow cottage cheese surprise yes that's 100 <laughs> percent like a salad in Minnesota for sure like it must be I wonder where he's from I don't remember but it's not important. There are some great content creators out there who just make these recipes from a long time ago. And it's just so funny. And some of them are not from a long time ago. Some of them are still showing up in church basements today. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, there'll always be a place for for molded jello. Oh, that, I never expected this topic. This was great and and definitely appropriate to parenting and, and specifically motherhood through the ages, right? So good. Yeah, I really feel like I love talking about parenting and child rearing, but I also think that there's room in our show to devote some time to like what women and men have done throughout history in search of being the best kind of mother or the best kind of father or that, you know, like, I think that's also really interesting. And I think Jello is like really indicative of women trying to be the best mothers and homemakers they can be. So it's totally really wacky. <laughs> oh, that was great. I'm glad you enjoyed it, even though you hate Jello. <laughs> oh my gosh. Next time I see you, I'm going to show up with a Jello salad. Don't you dare. I'm so excited. If if you made me a jello salad, I would try it. I would try it. Wow. Maybe you'll start your own business. Jen's <gasps> jello salads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> your name works perfectly for some type of alliteration. <laughs> some alliteration in there. Jen's jello, Jen's jazzy jello salad. Oh, see? Perfect. <laughs> Quit your job. Jello salads. Done. It just it writes itself. It does. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. We want you to send us however you want to get in touch with us. Email, Facebook, Twitter. If you know our numbers, text us. Yes. We want to know the most outrageous thing you have ever eaten that includes jello or gelatin. Whatever. Just like mm-hmm. hit us up. 
with those jello salads, those wacky recipes, those those Minnesota salads. We want to know what you're eating. Yes. <laughs> that includes jello. <laughs> Tell us everything. Oh my gosh. We want to feel like absolutely sick with yeah. the descriptions of foods that you describe to us, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you hate jello like me, let us know so I don't feel so alone. <laughs> so yeah. We're on all the places and we want to hear your stories, your mom moments, your dad moments, your jello moments, all the moments in between. And yeah, thank you because we are definitely well over 2,000 downloads now. I feel like we're, yes. we're really, we're hitting a stride. It's really nice. Please continue to tell friends and family all about us. Because we hit 2,000 downloads, we want to do something fun for you guys, right? So if you will rate and review our podcast, send us some type of confirmation, like a screenshot or something. You could DM it to us. You know, you could email it to us. Um, We will enter your name into uh, win a free gift from us. Mm -hmm. Something cute that very cute cute and fun and and useful, practical. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so we would really appreciate the rate and review. Our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Until next time. Don't let the name fool you. Perfection salad is anything but.